0: You should be the host here.
1: I really love it, aren't
0: you? We're both monster people, diehard monster people, and we want them to do well. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Niamh Briggs. Nobody knows monster rugby better. I'd like to think I know a lot. Welcome along to episode six of the Red 78, the home of everything monster, right here on the Rugby Channel. Like Ireland's performance on Saturday, we're the complete package, we would say, this week. Uh, I'm Alan Quinlan, and joining me, as usual, is monster rugby legend... Neve Briggs. How are you Neve? Did you enjoy the weekend?
1: Well, Quinny, yeah, super weekend wasn't it?
0: It was incredible, yeah. For everything Munster Rugby, this is the place to be and we're always looking for your feedback, your thoughts on what's happening in Munster. The best way to get in touch is to tweet us at the Rugby Channel 15 or leave a comment wherever you're watching across the Rugby Channel social media pages. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast, just search for the Red 78 and you'll get the podcast straight to your phone every week. We've put up the match analysis on the bench for the last couple of weeks. Um, We put it on the bench for the last couple of weeks. And while we've dove into some other topics, but it's not every weekend Ireland beat the All Blacks, Neves. So that's where we're going to start. Uh, What can we say about Saturday? It was incredible, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, unbelievable. Pretty much complete performance. I think that was probably the most satisfying thing. Um, I was there, but my dad with me. Um, And, you know, he's a diehard rugby fan, like literally will go down the road to watch any kind of game that he can. So um, to get him up to Dublin for that was just um, an unbelievable day. And a couple of things that stood out for me, the atmosphere in the Aviva was absolutely electric. Like it was unbelievable right from the moment the teams came out into the warm up. um, I thought Donald Lennon summed it up perfectly against the head last night that... um, New Zealand in town brings the haka. that takes people out of the bars. So everybody's in their seats well before the, the kickoff. And um, it was just incredible. The, the noise, the, the ability then to probably watch, you know, one of the greatest teams of all time in New Zealand and then for Ireland to win in such a dominant way was just... I was buzzing coming back down the road after, so I was brilliant.
0: There was three times we've beaten them now in the last five matches. Um... What was the performance based on this time? I think we were optimistic, enthusiastic after what we saw against Japan. But uh, the inevitable Irish question, and maybe it's an Irish mentality. Well, Japan were, were really poor and Ireland weren't that good, but they backed it up. So what was it based on this performance and this um, level of accuracy that would that maybe shocked and surprised people?
1: Yeah, I I actually thought they were going to win it. I was saying beforehand, I re, was really sure. I feel or I felt probably since the end of last year, Six Nations, that this squad had really turned the corner in how they wanted to play. They kind of understood the level after beating England of physicality, um, of pressure, of intensity that they needed to be to beat the to beat those top teams in the world. And I just think that they've just progressed it. And obviously, the summer was difficult to see where we were because the players were gone to the line. Senior players arrested, but I just thought in every facet they were they were so good. They suffocated New Zealand; didn't give them time to play, um, and yeah, I've, they just seem to have mentally turned the corner in terms of the belief that they have. The huge buy into this coaching ticket to the game plan that they're trying to do. They play to each other's strengths. Um, we've obviously spoke about his influence before, but. You can just see Paul O'Connell stamp all over this in terms of the set-piece, the breakdown. Mike cats now had a huge amount of time with them, their ability to be able to move the ball um, no matter what number's on their back. Um, and forwards don't get frightened of space. And I think that it's just the consistency that they seem to understand now what it takes. And I think that we've seen that now over the last probably three or four games.
0: Is this a template the way that... Um other Irish teams should play. Um, You know, given that this team has been probably under a bit of criticism, you mentioned my cat as well and the attack and maybe Ireland being a little bit predictable in their game plan. We've probably seen that evolution, haven't we, since the the end of the Six Nations, particularly that England game and a real belief in what they're trying to do now. So were we a little bit harsh on the team um, up to this point that um, based on the evidence we saw that they, they kicked a lot and they were quite direct, and there wasn't um, a lot of variety to their attack. That's why I say at the start, when I ask you the question about, what we surprised? Um, My cat deserves a fair bit of praise there. You mentioned Paul, but I think the attack, um, the shape in the attack and the accuracy was was something that was really, really sensational.
1: Yeah, I I think, though, to, to be fair, you're looking at personnel as well. I think the fact that that front five, you know, Porter moving into loose head, Kelleher is an unbelievable baller for a hooker. Obviously, we know how good Tyke Furlong's hangs are. And then on the back of that, James Ryan's worked really hard in that. Ian Henderson, Tyke Byrne, whoever fills into that. Before that, they probably didn't have that. I think maybe that's definitely something that they lacked in terms of that ability to connect the backs and the forwards. You know, you see where do a huge amount for the for the Kiwis, you know, that they always have a forward in that pivot role that can be able to shift the ball away from that point of contact where defences are strong. That, I think, and the fact that we're not so dependent on Johnny Sexton anymore, and I think because we're not so dependent on him, we see the best of him too, if that makes any sense. But the likes of Hugo Keenan, Gary Ringrose, their ability to step up into first receiver was, you know, was so big because it takes pressure and allows Johnny then to, his vision and his ability to be able to predict what's going to happen two or three phases ahead. It's what sets him out as one of the best in the world. Not many people can do that, even at that level. And I think that if he knows and trusts that that phase and maybe the next phase are going to be taken care of with the likes of a Hugo Keane and Gary Ringrose, a pod of forwards that he can then start to scan and be able to see where the space is or where those mismatches are potentially going to be. And then makes the game really easy for them. But yeah, look, there was just so many facets. Like, literally, it must, I think I've watched it three times already. Um, it was just it, just a level of detail for me, you know. I think we looked at, you know, obviously, Quillen Doris was so, so good and he was, he was everywhere. But even for his try, if you look at the ruck beforehand, Ty Burns' ability to be able to clear Ardi Savea into the opposite way of where the ball is going, leaves that little gap for Doris to be able to step into. Now, he obviously has to have the talent and the ability to be able to, to do that, but... It's those little things, that smartness, that intelligence, um that ability to be able to very New Zealand-esque, I think. You know, McCall was brilliant at that back in his day, and I think yeah, so many elements were so good.
0: If you um if you're a Monster fan, um and this Which is probably yeah, but I'm just saying hypothetically for people maybe that'll listen to this and people I've met in the last few weeks, there's probably a frustration a disappointment that there's not not more Munster people starting. The telling joke was, um, you know, Leinster played Japan the week before. There was two Munster guys on the team, Andrew Conway and Ty Byrne in that game. It ended up being only Andrew Conway um, starting against the All Blacks. But this is the reality. These guys, you mentioned Porter, uh, Kelleher, Doris, they're they're really, really good footballers as well as being physical, athletic. And, you know, from a Munster point of view, there's not a lot of arguments, particularly after a win like that at the weekend, is there, that 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 Munster fans can make and say there should be more Munster guys on the Irish team because that team at the weekend, and I, I've probably stated this before, of course you'd like to see more Munster guys on, but the reality is these players showed us at the weekend that they're top quality international uh, standards. And um, maybe some of the younger players will come through, like Craig Casey, like Gavin Coombs, like Thomas O'Hearn. But there's not much argument at the moment. The team that started at the weekend was was the right team.
1: Yeah, look, I think on the back of that Japan game, it was going to be really difficult to drop anybody. I thought that Tyburn was incredibly lucky not to start the game against New Zealand because um, before the Japan game to be fair you know there was question marks over Gibson Park there was question marks over Lowe and you felt that maybe the likes of Keith Earls Conor Murray could have you know got in there and probably would have flourished as much the issue being now is that they're both they're all playing really really well so it's really difficult then to have an argument to drop them for me though Peter Mahoney Tyburn they were immense when they came off the bench against New Zealand like Peter O'Mahony is literally an opposition scrum half's nightmare. Like he's a big least... two,
0: they got two really vital turnovers.
1: Turnovers. Them, huge, you know, yeah. Um, but the physicality, the understanding. And then, like, you know, Keith Earl's that tackle on Reese, pushes, makes him forces him to decision to try and pass the boy, passes it over, over the line. They're all little key moments. And I think that they still have there's a huge part to play for these players going forward. It's just the case of if they get an opportunity to start, that they've got to be able to take it with both hands because what's there at the moment, as you say, it is difficult to see.
0: They're at um, different levels. Place. Yeah. Um, the, one, the one player, you talk about Keith Earls, uh, Connor Murray and Peter O'Mahony. They have a lot of experience. They've beaten New Zealand before. They're, they're an important part of this squad and they will play a vital role going forward towards the next World Cup. But Joey Carberry is the one that, that really pleased me because... It wasn't really the amount of brilliance he did in open play, but that kick from the halfway line and the other two penalties and Johnny Sexton, I thought it was brilliant that Sexton, Johnny Sexton referenced it afterwards. That was big for him for your confidence point of view, because um, everybody in Irish rugby wants to see Carberry show his spark and, and his quality again. And we've spoken about it here at the start of the season that it seems like there's something a little, there was something a little bit off and maybe it was a little bit of a confidence thing or a belief thing, but that surely will do him the world of good. And he'd probably start now against Argentina at the weekend.
1: Yeah, 100%. I was the exact same, I said to my dad after the game. I was just so chuffed and delighted for him because you felt like there was just something. He just needed a little boost or something in the previous games for the international window and that you feel then that he could actually take off. This could be it now, you know. This could be brilliant, and it wasn't just his kicks to me. He's one of the best kickers out there. It's just so oh my god! Like as as a former kicker myself, it's just to watch him kick the ball, it 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 almost looks really easy for him the way he's his style is. And um, but his defense was brilliant, and that was something that we questioned at the very start of the season about him missing tackles and um and being under pressure. And I thought, um. Yeah, he completely marshalled and managed that well. And that's the second time now he's played, uh, came off the bench and played New Zealand and one. So um, brilliant for him. And you just love to see him 100% get a shot this weekend against Argentina and, um, and push on from there, really.
0: Is this the peak or uh, we hear this peak all the time that we peaked in 2018 and um, then the World Cup was was incredibly disappointing? Um, are we allowed to enjoy this? Or are we? How, do we have to temper expectations? Because this is a culmination of of um, a lot of work, dedication, commitment to try and get to the back up to this level. Given that they had, they had a tough eighteen months. Does let's call a spade a spade. You know, the World Cup was incredibly disappointing, and um, a lot of people say, "Well, we've got to get to a semi final in the World Cup." I was just only looking at or reminding myself yesterday that. We've South Africa and Scotland in our group and that's going to be difficult to get out of the group because Scotland are showing a fair... Um, there's no gimme. We beat them well in the last World Cup, um, but that's, that's a very risky game as well. And then you play South Africa. Only two can come out of the group. So, essentially, if you come out of that group as one or two, you're either playing New Zealand or France in a quarterfinal. If that happens, um, New Zealand, we know they seem to just get it right for world cups and they have a conveyor belt of talent. There's three tests next summer. I've said this yesterday that there could be 10 different all blacks playing in that first test next, next summer. And they could be sensational. They just have a conveyor belt of players, but playing France on home soil as well. They're, they're, they're building nicely and they have a lot of young players. So for us to get to a semi-final no matter how well we're playing now, even in two years, it's still going to be a daunting task, isn't it?
1: Yeah, hugely. I think that was definitely a really difficult draw for Ireland. But, you know, to answer the first part of your question, 100% we've got to celebrate this. Like, I would not be tempering this down. Because I have no doubt when they review that game, there will still be a huge pile of stuff that they can work on. They left a huge amount of chances behind them. They had something like six visits to the 22. Um in in the first half and or into that kind of scoring zone and only came away with five points. Like that's something that they'll definitely want to work on. Um and their ability to be accurate in that in that scoring zone. Um so yeah, look, I think there's there's so much room for this squad. It's I, I that's what makes me so excited. I I kinda get giddy when I think about where they can go. It's not really about um semi-finals or because I just think that's gonna be a ridiculously difficult task anyway, but I think it's I'm really looking forward to the Six Nations and then on the back of that, I'm really looking forward to that three tests next summer and then let's just see where we are then. I, 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 but I, I don't think, I don't think the mindset is the same as it was previously. I don't think that they realise and I loved to hear Johnny say after um, the game the other day that like, this is not our, our, our peak. Like This is not this is not the barrier that we set. That well, we do, to th- try and-
0: do you think they'll learn from what happened in 2018? They were, ended up being world number one. They had an incredible year, Grand Slam, Beating England in Twickenham, Paddy's Day. Then they went to Australia, won a Test series. Then they beat New Zealand in November. So, it was an incredible year, and it'll go down as his in history as an incredible year. But the naysayers and the negativity, um, and the people who small minority, minority people I encounter them. I have friends who are big GA heads, and they, they rugby they don't like rugby. There's certain element of, of people who, who are involved in soccer that maybe don't like the rugby element as well. Um, and they say, well, it's we're, we're setting the team up for failure again. It's I, I find it kind of frustrating at times because, look, there is a lot of schools players um, and, and players who've come through the school system. And there's no doubt they're like mini academies. And it's something that we talk about in Munster, the schools system in Dublin, how it is a conveyor belt of, of many academies and they have so many schools, but it does frustrate me. I came through the club game, and um, you know, of course there is schools schools players who've come through private schools, but there is a path, you know, a pathway as well for for the club game, and you would hope that more club players could come through. But there's a bit of a negativity that that festers online, and I I saw some of it at the weekend. That well. We're setting setting up for failure again that we won't get to a semi-final. And maybe we won't, but that's why I asked you the question about are we entitled to celebrate and enjoy this? Given every the 18 months that everybody's had, I thought it was an incredible um performance. I was involved against New Zealand a good few times. I am I met Brian Adriska before the game, actually. I was chatting to him and you know, I just thought how many times he played the All Blacks? And I was involved in a few of those games, and you couldn't get a win. These guys now psychologically for the Munster guys going back to monster, can they bring anything back from that performance and this this window? Obviously, you want to try and they want to try and finish well against Argentina. But can they bring anything back to monster now in the next while about even style of play and the accuracy and and confidence with them to to monster, who are you know going to South Africa for two games, then they're they're straight into Europe.
1: Yeah, look, I definitely think they'll take confidence, a huge amount of it, especially those that were involved in matchday squads. Um, it's been two really, really good performances. But also from, you know, the extras that they see other players doing, you constantly learn in those kind of camps and those environments and 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 the expectation of what they need to do to try and get into that starting lineup. I think that's going to be huge for them. Um, In terms of style of play, look, it's difficult, isn't it? Because... Ireland play like that because it suits them and they have the ability to be able to play like that. Do Munster and that's the question.
0: Um, is this a template that the way Munster should try and play replicated a little bit? Because I, what, saw da- know, I, saw d- I saw Damien Dialinde at the weekend and, he, uh, Damien and he, played for, he played for South Africa and Scotland. He was sensational. I just think sometimes get the ball in his hands more, run off him, uh, try and get a bit of width. You've got Andrew Conway who looks a different player now playing for Ireland. It is a different setup, I uh, grant it. Um, Keith Earls, you think Earls, Conway, and either Wing, Zebo and around or Mike Haley. Surely we should try and certainly take something from that performance and the accuracy of it. Right? There's a lot of precision. There's a lot of things that have to happen. Your set piece has to be good. Your breakdown has to be good. But just trying to play with that pace and tempo for Munster, maybe they can. I think they have the personnel that maybe can get. Not exactly like that, but you know, play to their strengths, but get some... some use their wingers more and, and try and get a bit of width and that accuracy in, into their game.
1: Yeah, 100%. And look, we saw a flash to that against the Scarlets, where the young players got to go. They got to go to no pressure, to be able to move the ball, be able to run lines, and, and it was really cool to see, and it was brilliant to watch from a supporting point of view. Um, but you've just got to be also realistic too, in terms of where they are, in terms of their skill development and and um, do the like of that front five. I'm not saying they don't, I'm not saying they do. I'm, just, I'm putting a question to you. Do that front five type of player have the ability to be able to play with ball in hand? Do they have the ability to be able to be that link player between the forwards and the backs? And don't get me wrong, I've been saying for a long time that back line, whoever is selected um, for Munster have the ability to be able to move the ball and to be a lot more creative than what we're seeing.
0: I would say if you practice it and you try and get the shape, because look, I know Munster's strength is is um, you know their their set piece and their maul and their directness and is very good. Uh, I I do believe though that we need to see a little bit more and that maybe you can replicate some of the shape that Munster that that, that Ireland showed at the weekend. And I I just think if I was a player there, you can take some stuff back. Conor Murray may be frustrated, but he may look at some of the stuff that Gibson Park did, the way he bounced out of rocks and he just. Try to move everything. It's down to your breakdown as well. And I'm sure there'll be a hunger and a desire from Carberry, Omahani, Earls, uh, Tygburn to, to get back. And, and that's an enjoyable way to play, I think, for any player. There's no guarantee you can do that every week because Ireland might be totally frustrated against Argentina at the weekend. For any rugby person or non rugby person, you can't play like that every week and it just doesn't happen. But I just think they got so much right and that was down to repetition. Um, the shape was really good. There was bodies running good lines. There was options out the back. And I would love to see Munster kind of... And I think they're capable of of more better shape in their attack. And hopefully we'll see that in the next while. But I, I think that they can take that back. And I don't just think Munster can. I think all the provinces can. Your team can. Every club team um, watching that performance can see simplicity in pass... Inaccuracy accuracy, in running a good line, being an option um, and just putting pace and tempo in the game. And I think everybody can take a little bit out of what it was a really, really clinical performance.
1: Yeah, 100 percent. I agree. I think um, it's just very difficult in terms of the basic skills. And, and sounds so mad that we're talking about basic skills. But as you go up the levels, Ru becomes very systematic, not so much encouraged on on basic skill level because
0: well, well I tell you, neve, for example, when I played with Ireland, um, a lot of the time we would analyze New Zealand and look at their kind of line out moves, line out setups, uh, moves off the back of the line out, moves off scrum. I think a lot of teams can look at Ireland at the weekend and say that, I don't mean it to be insulting to Munster, but I think they can look at stuff there around the shape, the lines are running. Every province can, every team can, and actually say that performance is, is how you trouble a team, any team, the quality of New Zealand. And I just think the way Munster, uh, Ireland did it relentlessly, it was brilliant. Um, you know, yeah, like,
1: I, think, I think though, to be fair, if, if Andy Farrell probably had his way, he'd be filtering all that information back down to the to provincial provinces, so that they're getting way more repetition of what he wants to do going forward. Look, it's not always the case, but in terms of, you know, you're you're giving all your messages out there in terms to the to the provincial provinces so, management teams, so that you know you're telling them this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, um, and hoping then that they kind of buy into that too, so that, you know, it's not just the international window that these players are working on is thats it's crossed the board but um, yeah look I agree I definitely do think Munster have the player personnel to be able to do it and um, hopefully we get to see it OK
0: 103 tackles made by Ireland I'm just going to talk some of the stats and 241 by New Zealand it's staggering isn't it you think 61% possession um, overall in the game 70% possession on the, in, in, in the first half Um. How did they manage to do that? Is it just is it was it down to the accuracy or the intensity? Like, could, can we replicate that going forward, and can we keep that kind of level and standard?
1: Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I think you can. I think that um, they did it by moving the ball. They just didn't. They suffocated New Zealand out of possession of, a, of any good possession, really. Um, and then when they had the ball, they just used it really cleverly. They just moved the ball, the points of contact all the time. Their support lines to each other were unbelievable. Um, Their breakdown work was brilliant. It just didn't give New Zealand a sniff to be either able to take out turnover at the breakdown or to be able to put a huge amount of line speed on because they just had so many runners off both sides of the ball that it was just really difficult to be able to come up. You couldn't come up because you were going to be outnumbered all the time. So just a really, really clever play and something that I don't even think that they've reached their peak on yet.
0: So being the devil's advocate now, Argentina come out at the weekend and frustrate Ireland. Ireland get a little bit sloppy and we scrape a win. Is that fine? Will that be a brilliant November or do you Ireland know, I think... be really clinical again at the week? We're going to see a number of changes. Yeah, so we Ireland, will. We'll our have our to. Our start this week. Um, we're speculating, but there's probably be a little bit of rotation and some new players come in, so... What do you want, want to see at the weekend um, to see them finish off before they go back to their provinces?
1: Yeah, you definitely want to see similar to what, how they've gone for the last couple of weeks. And I don't think there will be changes. I just don't think it'll be a huge amount because I'm pretty sure if you're Andy Farrell, you just want to keep that buzz that's happening going. I think you've got to genuinely look at something along the lines of who actually backs up Hugo Keenan that would definitely be something because he is So will Simon Zebo come in?
0: Will Zebo yeah, come in?
1: He might do because he's got a big left peg and his ability to, to play is, we all know how good that is. But you've got to offer an opportunity because i tell you Jordan what. Jordan
0: Larmer, Robert complete. Balacoon, do they come yeah. in and, and give us but, a little bit more depth there?
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I think you'd I think he, he, like to see Keith Earls get a start after the two weeks off the bench. Um, Definitely got to just have a look at strength and depth in terms of Hugh Keenan because he's just so far ahead of everyone else. He was super at the weekend. Um, you got to obviously have a look at Joey Carberry. I'd love to see Kieran Frawley come in because I'll tell you why. He, he's the type of player that could excel in that kind of game plan, that kind of second playmaker. Um, and then, you know, do you give Porter a rest and have a look at Keen Healy and, um, and Killer, Dave Kilcoyne, because to be fair, I thought Dave Kilcoyne was kind of pretty unlucky not to be in the bench. I thought he had started the season really well, he backed up, um, you know, had been in positions where he was, had a great season last season. So um, yeah, you definitely like see those kind of ones, but I do, I do think the whole, it'll be about momentum now and being able to finish on a high so that they can head in back to their clubs and into next year's Six Nations campaign. Well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, well, right. That leaves the analysis. We're allowed to enjoy it, Sony, if you reckon. Absolutely. Uh, not get too far ahead of ourselves, Um I think the players themselves will remember what happened in 18 and um, maybe the media might temper the expectations as well a little bit. But, you know, it took us a long, long time to beat New Zealand and uh, that was probably the most complete performance I've seen from an Irish team ever um, against a really good side. So we're just going to move on and, you know, talk about something a little bit different now. I want to get your opinion on it and it's refereeing in, in, in rugby. Um, there is a dispute going on at the moment between the Munster Association of Referees and the Munster branch. It's about governance. It's about um, we're not going to go in-depth in that. It's been widely reported that there's a dispute this dispute going on and that some people have stepped down in, in the Munster Association of Referees and they're unhappy about the governance and the proposals and, and everything being aligned Um this is not a great news story. Um, what we are hearing and what I'm hearing is that hopefully it will be resolved and it needs to be resolved because refereeing, um, there was matches under threat there a couple of weeks ago because of people threatening not to turn up to matches and referee these games. We can't have a game without referees. Can we? You're a coach in the All-Ireland League. Um, what's your experience of um, availability of referees and, and, getting three officials onto your games when you play and would it concern and worry you that um, this sort of dispute can can damage that process of encouraging more people to referee?
1: Yeah, look, <clears throat> I think it's a really difficult job, number one. Definitely not something that I would get my, you know, throw my hat into. I think have often spoke to Joy Neville about this. What she's done has been brilliant considering that she didn't really know the laws when she was playing, which makes it even funnier to become this top referee. But, yeah, look, I think, to be fair, when you're at the AIL level, we it's an All-Ireland League, so it's designated referee league, RFU, even though it might be a branch referee. Um, the the fact that many games in the in both junior rugby, junior men's rugby and junior women's rugby, for example, so the lower leagues of the Munster League and development leagues, have been postponed um, over the last few weeks um, because of lack of referees, especially down in the south. Um, of the province so it's obviously really frustrating from our point of view with Bose, um, not always you definitely do get you obviously get a referee but not always you get touch touches seems to have changed this year we seem to have a, bit, a little bit more consistent than that but a couple of weeks ago we played Old Belvedere in the AIL league and who racked up the referee the game only Johnny Lacey and I swear to God it was unbelievable for us as players as coaches because you're looking at this referee who's unbelievable caliber, you know, one top referees in the world, giving a dig out basically because he knew that they were a stock. And how well, how well the game went as a spectacle was just brilliant. And we both learned of, of on both sides, both us and Belvo, we were just talking about it afterwards. And that was class. It was class for our girls? They were really giddy when they saw him come onto the pitch. I probably should have told them beforehand, to try and quiet them down. But
0: did you win it, that game?
1: Yeah, we did, but in, so in you terms were happy
0: with the ref when you won <laughs> if, uh, we're, we're No, I think there's,
1: I, I think there is just a lot of like to get a referee that caliber in a women's game was super. To Get someone like Joy Neville refereeing your games is brilliant. She's done a couple that's of schools games. All, that's not always. It's not always the case. But I have so to say, If you
0: look at the, I looked at the the Monster website on the 21st of October, they had an article up saying they can confirm that there is a currently a severe shortage of active, active referees in the province which is having a detrimental impact on the ability to stage games at all levels. Obviously the dispute going on in the moment, we really, at the moment, we hope that gets sorted, but how do we encourage more people to become referees, to get involved? And um, Because we can't have the underage games, we can't have um, games Schools right games. across the province. Um, I remember when my club, Clan William, that there was um, um, over the years a really active push to try and encourage people within the club to take up refereeing even the minis then do the referees courses and obviously like a player you gradually get experience how do we get encourage people to do more of that and particularly in the women's game as well
1: yeah look I think that has just showed them the opportunities I think you know look at somebody like Joy Neville or Andy Brace two very young referees that's kind of started in around the same time together you know Joy was obviously an ex-international Andy Brace played international rugby before for Belgium obviously a very good AIL player and the, the rise that they've had in such a short space of time and now they're on the world stage and they're that's a tangible opportunity for somebody. You can actually see that because you can see that the level and how quickly they went up the ranks. You look at some other people like, you know, Owen Cross has come in now He's on that like, national development. He was refereeing a couple of years ago. and he do, was. Really, do we need much. to
0: have more seminars and get people from the Munster branch or, or to go out to clubs and try and have get-togethers yeah. and encourage people and show them the benefits of, of being a referee and, and the impact they can make?
1: Yeah, huge. I think social media too offers a huge um, area for them to be able to promote their game. I think everybody's on social media these days. So to be able to But yeah, look, I think you're definitely right. Trying to offer them a pathway into the game through refereeing. It doesn't have to be somebody who's played the game before. And that's the biggest thing. So hopefully we can get it resolved and, and get more people playing.
0: It's a very difficult situation. And being a referee sometimes is a tankless a job.
1: Would you um, do it, Quinny?
0: Would I do it? Um, People say I refereed lots of matches when I actually played. <laughs> I I, 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 do, I double-jobbed. Um, I don't know. I have lots. Of course, when you watch matches, you kind of get frustrated and you forget yourself and you kind of go, get frustrated with the referee. It's a tough job. Um, yeah, it is. You know, Johnny is one of my my closest mates and we grew up together and, and uh, you know, the admiration I have for him being a player and, and maybe it was a bit easier for Johnny because he played at professional level to, to kind of go there. But I would encourage people to try it. Um, there's a great reward in it, and there's a respect in rugby which is pretty decent, I would say, at a at a um, a very high level, and it's part of kind of the values of the game. Um, of course, I've seen situations in 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 junior leagues and in underage matches in in different rural parts of Ireland where there's there's been shouting and screaming at referees, and it can be tough. But I think it is rewarding. I think soccer, and we've seen that in the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure if you've seen the, um, in, in the, the soccer leagues in Dublin, the NDSL, the North Dublin Schoolboys and Schoolgirls League and the Metropolitan Girls League and the Eastern Women's Football Leagues in Dublin. Um, some 550 games were postponed, um, in the last kind of last weekend because of, because of, referees protesting against abuse and threatening behavior I think and that was widely publicized in the media and I think i I feel sorry for for people in that situation, particularly young boys or girls and i it's i'm it's not my job or I'm certainly not um trying to have a go off soccer, but there's it's i suppose there's more of an acceptance of screaming and shouting at people um It does happen in rugby it happens in g a this was alarming to see this in another sport. I know we're talking about another sport, but it was alarming to see that people are being threatened, not just abused. They're being threatened, and um, there was a horrific incident with Daniel Sweeney three years ago, where he was assaulted, soccer referee, and it's it's shocking that that can happen. We've seen the fights in Wicklow and the GA in recent times. Um, that would be a real concern in sport because it's an incredibly difficult job to do and um, rugby can only control their game and thankfully um, there's not a lot of we don't hear or see a lot of that but that would kind of put put the worry and fear in people to go out and do a job and referee an underage match at the weekend, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, look, I think two very different things as you say, one is widely accepted to abuse a referee, you look in international matches premiership matches, so you know, across the water and you see players screaming at the referees all the time. You see crowds at games, you know, getting on the referee's case and it's a really difficult job. I just think on the flip side of that, rugby, it's very different because as you say, it's not socially accepted to come down hard in a referee in rugby because it goes against the values of the game. As you say, we both know that's not always the case, but in the majority of cases. So you'd hope that would encourage people that they're not looking at soccer referees and thinking about the same things, you know, the same way about it as rugby. Just that more that rugby doesn't have that same kind of probably levels of abuse, but and I think it does does
0: happen, it does happen, and rugby is not squeaky clean. But I think the media play a real important role in in sending out um, messages to parents, coaches, players right across sport throughout Ireland that this is not acceptable. You can have a gripe with a referee, but you've got to bite your lip. You can't, it's just... You've got
1: to respect what the position is. Yeah, and look, it's,
0: it's tricky at times because sometimes yeah. um, uh, it's a tough job and it's about learning uh, the behaviours to, to be able to cope and be respectful as a referee to players as well. And you make a decision and, you know, people don't agree with it and it can get out of hand. But I think it's really important right across the board in... in um, in all sports that we send out that message that it's, it's not acceptable to to behave like this and we don't want it. And this isn't about separating rugby and soccer GA right across the board, because particularly with young kids, you're setting an example of acceptable behavior and this is not acceptable. And it's alarming to think that, um, a huge group of referees would get on WhatsApp groups and feel threatened and worried and concerned about, um, about them going out refereeing a game at the weekend, so it's something that needs to stop and and needs to be highlighted more.
1: Yeah, look, and hopefully from our perspective and the mayor um, and um, and rugby Munster, everybody can just come to an agreement, so that you know, we can get it resolved and and more people take it up.
0: Yeah, hopefully that gets resolved. Okay, that's it uh, from the Red Seventy Eight this week. We'll be back next week with a full debrief on how the November internationals went. And for, Munster, and for the monster contingent. And we look ahead to the return of the URC with Munster heading to South Africa for those, those two games. Don't forget to get in touch with your thoughts on all things Munster throughout the week and we'll be sure to get them on next week's podcast. You can tweet us at Rugby Channel 15 or search for the Rugby Channel on YouTube and leave a comment. Make sure you subscribe to the Red 78 wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next week. Thank you,
1: Neve. Thanks, buddy. The Munster Rugby Podcast. Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Nobody knows monster rugby better.